KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Friday, April 9th. New ways of promoting national city vaccinations. More on that next. But first, let's do the headlines. La Mesa City Councilwoman Dr. Akila Weber has won the 79th Assembly District, according to the City News Service. The seat was held by her mother, Shirley Weber, until she became California's Secretary of State in December. Dr. Weber won with 52% of the vote, with only 3,000 ballots left to be counted. Weber is expected to be sworn in later this month. If you're tired of refreshing that vaccination website over and over again in search of an opened appointment, try using Twitter bots. These automated accounts on Twitter have been created to help people search for COVID-19 vaccine appointments. The accounts provide real-time availability for vaccine appointments by scanning multiple websites on the internet. To find and use these Twitter bots, search the internet for at COVIDVaccineSD, at COVAXSD, or at vaccine spotter. More California counties are opening vaccine eligibility to younger adults a week ahead of the state's schedule. Santa Clara County and Fresno County are the latest to open up vaccines to everyone 16 and up. At California State University Los Angeles, a vaccination supersite announced it would take adults on a walk-up basis because of excess vaccines. But the demand was so heavy on Thursday that the site was forced to stop the walk-up vaccinations and move to appointments only. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. About 28% of National City residents have already been vaccinated, and political leaders want to do better. They've partnered with a local lowrider car coalition to promote access to the vaccine. KPBS's Melissa May reports. National City is two weeks into the 100-day COVID-19 vaccine campaign. National City Mayor Alejandra Sotela Solis says the community response has been positive. It's been amazing. Uh, We've heard uh, that we are driving demand. So how do you do better? By using one of the most iconic symbols of family in this community, the lowrider. Lowrider is part of the Chicano Latino culture. It's not just a vehicle uh, that you see out on display, it's art, it's expression of, you know, family members that they uh, may have lost or respect. The United Lowrider Coalition will showcase their lowriders on the second and fourth Saturdays of the month at the Las Palmas Elementary School, where there's a walk-up, first-come, first-serve vaccine clinic. It's a huge part of the culture in National City. Jovita Arellano, a volunteer with the Lowrider Coalition, says the group will support the city many of them call home. It'll draw more people to the event, especially the Latino community. Um, They'll feel more competent and saying, well, you know what, I I think I should go do this for, for me, for my family. National City Fire Chief Frank Parra knows what Lowriders mean to the city. 
There's a, another group of folks that, you know, have grown up in the community. Um, a lot of folks uh, enjoy, you know, the vehicles, uh, the culture, um, and it just brings it home for them. From now until the beginning of July, pending vaccine availability, there will also be a walk-up clinic at the National City Library every Thursday. And that was KPBS's Melissa May. Police and elected officials in San Diego want to make sure that Asian Americans feel comfortable reporting hate crimes. KPBS's Matt Hoffman has more from an event in the Convoy District connecting law enforcement with the community. And right now, it is important for all of us, whether you're a member of the Asian Pacific Islander community or not, to say with one voice that we do not support this, we will fight back against it, and we will hold those who do it accountable. San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria is encouraging Asian Americans that have been victims of crimes to report it. And I recognize that for many in our community, it's hard for us to come forward and say that something's happened. As your mayor, I ask you to come forward. Law enforcement says they can only act if crimes are reported. And part of this effort is to encourage San Diego's Asian American communities to feel comfortable talking with police. Hate crimes are one of the most underreported crimes. It's really important we get the word out that we can't stop it unless we get those reports. While some might not see it, San Diego County District Attorney Summer Steffen says crimes against Asian Americans are happening here. It is unfortunately here in our midst in San Diego. In 2017, 2018 and 2019, we had zero cases targeting our Asian communities with hate. And since the pandemic, we are prosecuting three felony hate crimes cases that target our Asian communities. San Diego City Council member Chris Kate represents this area and he put together today's safety symposium. We don't want our business owners and our residents to feel vulnerable for any sense. We want to empower them with the information that they have at their fingertips. Local business leaders like Michael too are grateful that officials are setting up events like this which aim to bring residents closer with police. It's very important to let the community know that if there's anything that they need or that they need to uh, people to go to, their, 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 their doors are open. So it's good. It's great. There are two more outreach events like this next week, one in Linda Vista and another in Mira Mesa. And that was KPBS's Matt Hoffman. One stretch of San Diego's iconic El Cajon Boulevard is being re-envisioned by city planners and community members. KPBS's Max Rivlin-Nadler reports. A town hall this week is the third in a series that has helped community members and the business community re-envision parts of El Cajon Boulevard. The previous town hall in 2019 led to the creation of the El Cajon Boulevard bus rapid transit lane in an effort to boost mobility for the area, which is shut off from the trolley system. Tootie Thomas with the El Cajon Boulevard Improvement Association, which is hosting the event, says this week's gathering focuses specifically on the area between the 805 and 15 freeways. With this town hall, we thought we would use it to reimagine what El Cajon Boulevard would look like in this Boulevard Central hub. City planners, land use experts, and developers will focus on transportation, the building of accessory dwelling units in residential areas, and business recruitment. And that was KPBS's Max Rivlin-Nadler. Donovan State Prison in Otay Mesa is tied for the third highest COVID-19 death rate among California prisons. In the second of a two-part investigation, iNews source reporter Mary Plummer says multiple families of inmates who died say they had no idea their relatives even had the virus. 
A winter outbreak at Donovan left 18 dead. The virus tore through the prison, infecting hundreds of people. Several families we spoke with of people who died of COVID-19 told us they were left in shock and wanting answers. They say the news was hard to take. Like running into a wall in a dark room. To find out he passed away, it just, it just floored me. They didn't tell us he was sick. They didn't tell us nothing. Nobody tried to locate us, contact us go through any of his things to see who's his next of kin, who can they contact, who can they write, anything. They did nothing. That's Robert Lee, Byron Porter, and Candace Fleming. They say prison officials did not contact them before the deaths of their family members. All had relatives at Donovan with COVID-19 who were taken to hospitals where they died. The state corrections department defended its approach, saying its policies were followed, and that for security reasons, family members aren't always told when someone is taken to the hospital. That was iNewsource investigative reporter Mary Plummer. This story was co-reported by Jill Castellano at iNewsource, an independently funded nonprofit partner of KPBS. To read the full investigation into Donovan State Prison, go to iNewsource.org. Coming up, the military is wrapping up their stand-down initiatives to combat extremism in military ranks. But now that it's complete, What comes next? We'll have more on that just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. In the wake of the January 6th Capitol insurrection, the Pentagon ordered all service branches to conduct a one-day stand-down to discuss racial extremism within the ranks. These trainings were supposed to be finished by the beginning of April, and in the past couple of weeks, there's been a rush to complete them. KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh spoke with a group of Marines, as many of them wondered whether the military was really serious about rooting out extremism. Yeah, that was that was that was tough as a service member to see. First Lieutenant Madeline Hoffman remembers watching the January 6th events at the Capitol on TV. I take that oath very seriously and I want to make sure that our Marines understand that like that type of activity like is directly in contrast to that oath. Hoffman leads a Marine Infantry Logistics Unit at 29 Palms. We initially talked just before she conducted the required stand-down on extremism. She was required to review the oath Marines take to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. We were pushed this a week ago. Um, All the the source material specifically for the extremism stand-down. So I've been taking the last week to really educate myself and be prepared to to give this training. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin gave all branches of the military 60 days to conduct stand-downs. Rather than having top commanders fill large lecture halls, the Marines pushed the task down to small unit commanders. It's Hoffman's first real training on the topic. 
Specifically, extremism hasn't been a major training point. Experts who follow the military's checkered history with tracking extremism aren't surprised that leaders on the ground haven't been given the tools to look for it in the ranks. Heidi Byrick is co-founder of the Global Project Against Hate and Extremism. They need to make sure that anybody who's in a position to report this stuff is doing so, that that information is captured. Their own investigators haven't seemed clear uh, in hearings earlier in 2020 on what the rules are. I mean, there is a lot that needs to be done to fix this problem in the military. Byrick is concerned that if the stand down isn't backed up with tangible changes, it will send the wrong message to rank and file members of the military. I think of the stand down as being a good wake up call to everyone. And hopefully there'll be serious conversations in every branch and every level about these issues. But, I mean, that can only be perceived as one tiny piece of an overhaul and a massive change in the way the military is managed. She says investigators in each branch need to work together. They still don't have a database of extremist tattoos and symbols. They are still working on a policy to monitor social media for extremist activity, often relying on the FBI. How did it go? The training, I thought, actually went really well. After the stand-down, First Lieutenant Hoffman says they went longer than she expected, mostly because of the number of questions. One thing that came up a lot is that technically Marines are allowed to belong to extremist groups as long as they aren't active members. You walk a very fine line moving from active to passive membership. So it's something as simple as sharing an article from an extremist organization on your Facebook page is grounds to move from passive to active membership. Two Marines under Hoffman's command say the military's apolitical reputation has been under siege for a while. The stand-downs were a chance to right this ship, says Lance Corporal Alan Huff. If you can receive this knowledge about this class and be told that it's a relevant issue and still somehow look away from it, then that's kind of a, a personal issue. Marine Corporal David Dorsey says he found the stand-downs informative. He hasn't encountered people in extremist groups, but as an African-American, he's seen bigotry and racial stereotypes among his fellow Marines. He says there's no quick fix here. It's not going to be a quick turnaround. Um, usually nothing ever is when you're trying to change, you know, a wide range of people. Um, do we work on trying to fix it? Yes, but it's it's a slow going thing. It's not something that's going to change immediately. The Pentagon did not compile data on the extremist activity that may have been revealed during these closed door sessions, preferring to let troops speak off the record. Next step, making sure troops feel comfortable saying something when they see it. And that was KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh. This story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. Funding comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. The weekend is upon us, and if you're looking for some arts and culture things to do, KPBS arts editor and producer Julia Dixon-Evans is here with the weekend preview. First is an actual art opening in person, on site. Basira Khan will be the artist-in-residence at Lux Art Institute, and they're kicking off the exhibition with an opening reception tonight, complete with live sets from DJ Omega Watts. It's all COVID-safe, of course, and spots are extremely limited. They're doing 30-minute time slots, and maybe we're starved enough that 30 minutes will still feel like a party. 
Khan's work restructures fashion, photography, textiles, collage, and even uses multimedia performance to study identity. Khan, who is queer, femme, Muslim American, hones in on the boundary between assimilation and hiding. And what I've seen of Khan's work feels larger than life, sometimes implicating and sometimes highly personal. Spots at the opening reception are free for Lux members and $10 for guests. But if you miss it tonight, you can make an appointment to see it during their regular gallery hours. Those are Thursday through Saturday afternoons. And the work will be on view through June 5th. Next up, local dance company Litvok Dance will stream a set of performances, mostly solos and duets, all set to music for strings. They created new choreography for the program, and the pieces range from contemporary original compositions to Bach to klezmer to improvisational jazz. And here's a piece that violinist Christopher Apple recently composed. There's two virtual screenings on Saturday night. The 7 p.m. one is almost sold out, so they've recently added an 8 p.m. performance too. And in theater, San Diego Rep has partnered with Company One Theater and American Repertory Theater to bring a filmed production of Idris Goodwin's 2018 play, Hype Man. Hype Man is about a hip-hop trio, and the script tackles white privilege and the power and shortcomings of shared experience. It's set against a backdrop of protest and escalating police brutality. And the performances and the music itself in the play are really fantastic and powerful. Well, yo, I'm here. I'm good. So sick of this. How many this year alone? So we gotta do something. Whole world will be watching. Right? Nobody will see it coming. Like, like, stop shooting us 18 times. Wait, hold up. Let's talk about this. What I'm trying to do. Yeah, whatever. You can't tell me what I can and cannot say. You my hype man. But we like one voice, you know? That's Hype Man, a breakbeat play by Idris Goodwin. And it's presented by San Diego Rep, viewable on demand through May 8th. And as a bonus, we're all celebrating the fact that the Casbah is reopening this weekend, sort of. There won't be any live music yet, but there will be live DJ sets. Plus, you can get tacos from Salud and cocktails served on the patio and in the newly renovated Razzmatazz room. That's tonight and tomorrow from 5 to 10 p.m. with some COVID restrictions. For more arts events or to sign up for my weekly KPBS arts newsletter, go to kpbs.org arts. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend.
KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon, hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com.